Today's guest is a homeschooling mom with the training and experience to help us all level up our homeschool experience. Join us as Kimberly McCran shares her five lessons from a career in teaching. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Before we get started, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, click the bell to join our channel. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and our guest today is Kimberly McCran, here to share her five lessons from a career in teaching. Kimberly McCran is a music educator with over 20 years of experience who joyfully toggles a career in the New York metro area alongside Catholic home education in her family's Pond House School. She's excited to encourage others who are managing the transition from traditional schooling so that they can draw upon strengths old and new in this next chapter of their family life. You can find her at CoastalVillageGirl.com, and it's just how it sounds, C-O-A-S-T-A-L, and then VillageGirl.com. Welcome to the program, Kimberly. It's great to have you back. Thanks so much for having me on, Lisa. Oh, really it's just, forward to this. oh, yeah, me too. And uh, just for the audience's sake, we were having really weird technical issues right before we started to record. So I feel like this is, you know, we, this is like the first episode that I'm recording for this season. Uh, you know, it, it almost bodes well to me that we struggled to get on together today. <laughs> and actually, when we get to the third point, one of the things we'll be talking about is how you can't control everything. So... <laughs> It's Hello. kind of fitting. Yeah, and I'm in the middle of doing the uh, abandonment novena, too. So it was a good exercise. Yes, indeed, right? We all need that. And if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, you know what? I'll throw it in the show notes <laughs> because it's an absolutely, it's a gem. Okay. So anyway, Kimberly, so good to have you here. Would you just start off by telling us you have really neat resources, a blog and sort of a vlog at your uh, at CoastalVillageGirl.com. Would you start off by just sharing how the Lord led you into creating these resources for homeschoolers? Sure. So actually, um, it started almost 10 years ago, uh, shortly after my husband and I got married and I moved to Long Island and I didn't really know much about Long Island. So um, I was really interested in exploring different places with him. And so with a neophyte seal, I decided you know what, let me document this. So anytime we went to a new restaurant or a winery or a historic place or, you know, some place of natural beauty, like a state park, um, I would start, um, you know, just making little blog posts about it. And, uh, and then we'd throw in, you know, if there was a product or a service that was provided locally or, um, a little inexpensive home renovations and a, and a little dash of of chicken keeping we had chickens for a number of years um you know so we so it was kind of sprinkled with a little bit of this and that and it was a very informal thing that i did anonymously just a way of um it was, it was a hobby and i think it was a way of just putting a little positivity out into the internet which as you know can be <laughs> a place with a lot of you know mixed things so um so that was something that i just did for fun on the side and then um 
when my daughter was born, I, I didn't have time to keep up with it. So I, I shuttered the, the blog. And then a few years later, just decided, you know what, let me set up a, a proper website and, uh, and, and give it a go again and, and, and start blogging about things that better reflect the season of life that we're currently in. And that naturally kind of um, started involving homeschooling because, you know, we started homeschooling our daughter um, pretty early on. And it was funny because after things opened up again, after the pandemic, and we'd start going to classes and library programs, um, you know, invariably the moms start talking amongst themselves about different things. And, uh, you know, one of the things that would come up, oh, well, where does your daughter go to school? And she's very friendly. So she just cutely, you know, speaks right up and goes, we homeschool. And it's very interesting how since the pandemic, um, that elicits a very different response. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, people have always been very polite before and, oh, that's interesting. Um, but I would say there's, there's, um, a lot of inquiry <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that goes on now, um, when she makes that statement and a lot of people are very interested in it. A lot of people are very impressed by it. And a lot of people who say, oh, I would, I would actually like to do that. Or if, you know, if the, if, if the dots all matched up, I would like to do that, um, yeah. or, or at least learn about it. So a lot of people in a lot of places that would just start having conversations with about homeschooling. And, um, it, it was just, it was just such a beautiful thing. I mean, Lisa, as you know, I, I you know, I've taught in institutional settings my whole life. I'm a, a big supporter of all of the various methods of education that, that parents choose for their children, whether it's a traditional school or homeschooling, whether that's, you know, private or public or parochial or charter, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think what's happened because of the pandemic, because of this incredibly difficult time that we, families are really considering and reconsidering what's best for their not more pivoting. So as I found myself in these situations where I was having more and more conversations, I realized, you know what, um, maybe this is a little, like a little nod from the Lord. And as we were working through various curriculum, I was having the same response that I was having to when my husband and I were newlyweds, you know, visiting different places. Wow, this is really well thought out or, you know, this has added so much value to our family's life, you know, to my daughter's education. I see her really thriving with this particular product. You know, maybe I should put a review of it. You know, some of the things we use are very well known and then other things are not. Um, so, so it just, uh, it was something that was really tugging on my heart and then I figured, you know, okay, this is something I really need to discern more. And part of the discernment process was I, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to make 10 videos. And I know there's going to be learning curves associated with doing that. I've worked over video, especially since the pandemic with my, my students. So I'm used to that, you know, having one-on-one -on -one lessons and conversations. But putting together a pre-recorded video, of course, is a totally different thing. So I figured, all right, if I can have the self-discipline to do this and 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 figure out these associated learning curves, then I've got enough content that I can, you know, slowly put it out over a you know a few months, and uh, and you know if I can do that, then then maybe this is this is a sign from the Lord that that I should move forward with this. Um, so that's what I did, and now I've got I think o over a dozen videos on the on the site, and sometimes I do blog entries as as well, where I feel like that's more important. Um, there's some books that my daughter and I are actually 
reviewing together at the same time. So that's kind of a fun thing to do as a blog post where, you know, it's her review and my review. So we we started that in the spring. Ooh, I love that. That's super fun. All right. Well, that's really interesting the way people are perceiving things differently and more interested, more intrigued. We've certainly been been under unusual stress (laughs) the last couple of years Mm -hmm. and have thought a lot more and have seen a lot more into various educational environments because of Zoom and have, you know, really maybe just had more data to go on to really reevaluate the idea of schooling our children ourselves. So um, you've got five lessons uh, to share with us. So why don't you go ahead and step us into those lessons, Kimberly? Sure. So I think probably most of what I'm going to share today is is going to be, um, there are going to be things that maybe apply to someone who's uh, considering homeschooling or they're, they're relatively new to homeschooling um, because they're really things that I think whether you're starting out a career in teaching in an institutional setting or you're starting out homeschooling, it's a similar matter. You know, you go into the task of teaching with, um, with, with really strong convictions, right? You're, you're really excited. You're on fire uh, about doing it. Mm-hmm. And reality can be very different than our expectations. So what I found in my 23, 24 years I've lost count <laughs> of teaching <laughs> is that, um, you know, there, there are so many moments that will just wildly exceed your expectations, but, but they're just very, very different. From, from how you thought things were going to go. Um, so if I were to unpack that statement, we'd be here all day and I'd probably put everyone to sleep. So <laughs> five of the things, I, you know, I'm in the process of starting to, to distill this down, like what are the major uh, life lessons I've learned from basically being schooled by being a teacher. Um, <laughs> but, but the five that I've got so far are um, to pick what you love, uh, that the how, of what you're doing is just as important as the knowledge base that since you can't control everything, it's very important to adapt Mm -hmm. to keep your eyes peeled for props. And that leisurely procrastination is your best friend. (laughs) Ooh, I like the sound of that. Okay. So, so if we're going in the order of how you put it, like, what is this picking stuff you love? I mean, doesn't that mean there's going to be huge holes in your education if you just do what you love? Okay. <laughs> so here I'm going to reference more of my time as an orchestra conductor. Um, you know, I've done a few different things, working as a violin viola instructor, um, arts administrator, and also as a conductor. But here's where I would say this one particularly applied. Um you know, when, when I pick a piece of music to program for my students, obviously I'm thinking of, is this a piece that's of high um, artistic and, and pedagogical and, and, and spiritual value for my students, but also do I like it? Um, yeah. So in programming, that doesn't mean that I'm only going to program music from, let's say, the Baroque period, or I'm only going to program music by bronze. No, I, you know, I need to have a varied platter. But I guess in homeschooling, that would be akin to, you know, you're not only going to teach your child math, of course, you're going to teach them grammar and you're going to teach them science and geography and history and those things. So within that uh, very diet, I guess you could say, um, what do you really love? So this isn't meant to add pressure. I'll explain. 
I really feel that if I want to sell my students on something, how can I do that if I don't sincerely like it? So, you know, we're all going to have subjects where we experience uh, trepidation, right? There's, there are going to be subjects that are strong suit and, and others, you know, that we're, we're kind of <laughs> grinning and bearing it through. Um, but, you know, beyond sorting things out for your family as you make peace with your limitations, um, all I'm trying to say is give yourself a permission slip to pick curricula or approaches that you're interested in or excited about on some level um, so that at least when you're in the moments where you're where you're plowing through, you're you're going to have a few moments of joy. You're going to have you're going to make a few uh, memories while you're in the midst of a, a challenging subject. You know, even though the the point of the education is, you know, to help your student succeed and thrive and 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 to build them up, I found that you know, incidentally, it can also be kind of healing homeschooling your child because. You know, as you're walking them through a certain subject, it doesn't have to be the same as however you experienced it. So like, for example, um, I had a wonderful Latin teacher in high school, um, but it was in high school and it was, it was two years. And I knew um, that when we decided to homeschool our daughter, I really valued her learning Latin from a young age and, and really being able to embrace that. So that meant okay. Let's find some really great programs that that are that are going to be approachable to young children. So we've been really enjoying that. So you know, an area where I was kind of a late bloomer, that was something that you know we were able to find something that w- that was a great fit, and and she's you know doing well in it. Yeah. Uh, math, on the other hand, math was a, a source of downright frustration for me when I was an elementary age child. I just remember hitting a lot of walls and. Uh, so it became really important to me that my child have a very different experience with math. So we've sought out curricula that really seemed to best fit her needs. And we switched it up as she got older and her learning style became more apparent. And we do a lot of math games and math challenges and just have a lot of fun with it. And when I get later to the props bit, I'll tell you more about this little guy that's teaching <laughs> second grade math this year. And she's got a finger puppet on her her index finger for those of you listening on the non-video version. <laughs> so, you know, I think that your investment increases with something when you get a little bit of joy and pleasure out of it. So it's not a selfish thing to pick things that you really love. Yeah, that makes so much sense because there's to me as a mom, I'm getting kind of like the holy shivers listening to you because a couple of things, probably thousands of things are happening when you make that choice to kind of pan for gold. Okay, we got to be in this place. So what's the best part? What's going to be fun for us both so that, as you said, we're making happy memories? And that's a little self-care as a mom and as an instructor or a father as an, an instructor, because as you said, if you're lit up about something, you're in a whole other part of your brain. If you're, in, you're struggling with a program, you hate your you know little baby uh, neuroscience, you're in your amygdala. You're not in your creative problem-solving, warm and happy place. You're just stressed. And so if nothing's perfect, we're all going to have stressful moments, but if you can keep in that prefrontal cortex in that kind of happy, creative, relating place, then then education itself is still a joy. As you said, you have moments of joy. It's not all perfect. It's it's work on some level, but there's moments of joy. Praise God. I love that. 
So for the second point, this may actually draw more upon our assets being an issue. (laughs) Um, The how being as important as the knowledge base. So I know that some people, when they hear that at face value, are going to disagree with, with the emphasis on the how. Because I think traditionally, when we think about that in education, we're talking about something performative, but I do not mean it that way. So I'll explain. Um, so when you first when you first graduate from college or get your master's degree or whatever whatever your subject area is um, that you're you're going out in in the education world, you're so gung ho, right? Because you just you just had this education. You're really inspired by um, everything you've learned. You had amazing professors. You had this support of your of your classmates and now you're going to go out and you're going to change the world but people are a little more complicated than that and thankfully so right so um that innate desire to to go out and and make a difference it's it's a beautiful thing but sometimes our romantic ideals can get ahead of us and we need to always keep at the forefront the person who were teaching. So um, what do I mean by that? So for example, when I first started teaching, I know there were, there were times where I would over-program repertoire on a concert program and maybe push my students a little too hard. And there were times kind of going back to what I was saying about being performative, there were times where, you know, I would spend all my free time thinking of 80 million ways to say, to solve 80 million uh, real or perceived problems or permutations that can come up and, you know, and sitting down and, and, and looking for anecdotes and inspiring things to tell my students. And while those things in and of themselves in moderation were not a bad thing, um, that constant relentless um, pursuit uh, it really, it made things more difficult than it needed to be. And I remember during a, a time where I was particularly busy professionally and personally, I stumbled upon this quote by Theodore Roosevelt, it was something to the effect of no one cares how much you know, unless they know how much you care. Oh, it was no. like, <laughs> it really, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I realized I really needed to focus on using my rehearsal time, first and foremost, you know, thinking about the person behind the instrument and what their needs were. And, and students really need to feel cared for. They need to feel important. They need to feel loved and encouraged. And I'm not saying that people don't do these things when they first start out on the journey of schooling or homeschooling, but, but it is so easy in our unbridled excitement to kind of lose sight of that. So it was really important to me. I I found when I started shifting my focus and again, like the Imago Dei, right. You know, we're, we're made in the, in the image and likeness of God. You know, when I was really focused on the students, I found that it changed the way I rehearsed a bit. And it also allowed me to be a little more judicious in how much I shared. I didn't have to um, pre-plan every moment and when you're really engaging with someone, those moments flow naturally and, and you have to have a certain element of trust there. And then as a result, my students actually played better. So it's it's funny, but you actually, how do I say this? You actually have, there's more weight 
behind what you're saying when the people who are listening to you feel like you really care. And one last thing that I also want to say about, about um, being performative. You know, when you see people teach in the movies, they always look like they're on fire and they're, they're, you know, they're constantly engaged and, and amazing their, their students. And there's a lot of pressure in that. The type of people who do that in the education world are clinicians. They come in, they visit a town, they work with a group of students or teachers for a few hours, and then they go on and they do the same thing in a, another town and they get, you know, people fired up and excited and refresh whatever's going on. And that's lovely. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but when you're educating your, your children and you're at home with them all day long, I, I don't think enough coffee would suffice. You know, there's no, <laughs> there's no regular classroom teacher who, who's, who's doing that, who's, who, who's maintaining that. You know, when you think about, uh, you know, you see a Ted talk, how long is it? 15, 20, 25 minutes long. So, you know, don't, don't put pressure on yourself to be, uh, you, you know, you don't have to be like a motivational speaker who's got 12 New York Times bestsellers to your name. The how is in showing how you care, not in mm -hmm. performing. Wow, I love that. So the first one has to do with moving into the framework and then judiciously selecting things that have that opportunity for joy and connection. And the second one, again, we're talking again, in a way about that joy and that love, because we're seeing them in the image and likeness of God and helping them to know their own um, belovedness in the way that we teach, as well as I love that you made this point to take the performative aspect out. So much of our culture is performative and comparative as well. We compare ourselves too much. Um, just want to take a very quick break here to let our sponsors have a word with you. And we will be right back with Kimberly McCran and her third of these five lessons from her teaching career. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Walter Crawford. And I'm Maureen Whitman. And we're the founding members of Homeschool Connections, and we're the proud sponsors of the Homeschooling Saints podcast. Which is heard in over 80 countries around the world. And we really want to thank you for listening. And we invite you to come check out our online courses and Catholic homeschool programs at homeschoolconnections.com. And now back to our program. So, Kimberly, thank you so much. Take us into your third of the five points. Sure. So, um, about adapting and, and, and control. So, you know, in music education, it's a reality that you have to adjust. Uh, you certainly have to do that every year in a traditional classroom too, but it's different in music because there are just so many variables that come into play. So for example, you know, one year you may have your ideal instrumentation and another year you may have, you know, 30 violins and two violas and 12 cellos <laughs> and a trombone. And then you just have to make it work. You have to figure it out. Um, <laughs> and then there are, there are other things too. I mean, you may have a group of kids who you've been working with for a few years. And so they're really well-versed in your technique, like your rehearsal technique, your baton, um, you know, your, your manner of conducting. And they're also just really good at, at, at blending with one another. And then, those kids graduate and you have a crop of new kids. And so you have to teach them how to work together and how to work with you. Uh, and then of course, like every single concert cycle, right? You're starting over fresh. So even if it's the same group of kids, they're starting a piece from scratch. Um, and I think it kind of to that, that point about, about piece selection, 
maybe if there are any veteran homeschool moms who are listening, they can relate. It's a little like walking your child through, um, you know, walking your oldest child through through a curricula, and then and then going and doing the same thing with one of your uh, younger children and finding it's very different. Because I found over the course of my career, now there have been a few times where I've programmed a piece more than once you know, because it's been several years out and totally different crop of kids and the kids have changed and I have changed. So the way the piece is taught and experienced and performed is totally different than the first time around. That's fascinating to me. Like, Ooh, it just gives me the shivers because I have no musical talent. And, but to think in that environment of all those variables, it's such a great metaphor for our kids and their uniqueness and their constantly changing capabilities and perceptions and hours. That's just such a great area of awareness. So you also have to, to sometimes rearrange the music. Like I was mentioning, if there's any, uh, any, um, things about your instrumentation that might make programming a particular piece of music uh, daunting. Now, one very interesting thing that has actually come out of the pandemic, which is which is a wonderful resource for music educators, is um, something called flex instrumentation. It did exist beforehand, but with all of the complications teaching in a classroom setting, it, it really was necessary, um, you know, starting pretty early on in the pandemic. So there were a lot of arrangers that would take great works of music and make it possible that you could play with all these very different permutations of instruments because you didn't know if you were having the A group kid on Monday and the B group kid on Tuesday or who is going to be out sick. So, you know, so a lot of these, these changes, however, also made it possible. Let's say you're in a school with a smaller program. Um, now you can introduce your children to a much wider range of repertoire that they might not have originally uh, been exposed to. Um, so, so it really, in that respect, that is a, a wonderful service that that has been provided to the music education community in terms of thinking outside of the box. Um, but you still have to arrange and and rearrange and make cuts anyway. So, so this is this is a reality. So, you know, I think that this one is maybe a little bit more of an easy translation to homeschooling. You know, if there's, if there's something that your, your, your kid needs a few extra steps, then add it in, even if it's not, you know, if it's not in the the textbook or if there's something that's extraneous or you're, you know, you're beating your head against the wall, you know, maybe you need to replace it with something else. So, you know, having that permission slip to adapt to best suit the needs of your family, that this is what, you have to do every day when you're in front of an ensemble. Mm. And I think also to the point of, um, you know, adapting to meet the needs of your students, there are also some things that you just don't have control over. So that's, you know, we're talking about changing things up so that, so that we can meet our students' needs, but, but there are things that we just, um, you know, we have to realize that children have agency and children have free will. Um, because of the nature of my work, I've, I've had the, the great privilege of seeing families grow up. Um, so it's not unusual for me to work with a, a kid when they're nine years old and they're learning their two octave scales for the first time. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you fast forward 20 years and you're, you're sitting down and having a cup of coffee and they're in graduate school and thriving in their career. And you, you have to pinch yourself like it's, it's really a cool thing. Beautiful. But, 
you know, at the same time, because you get, you know, you, you see so many hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of kids, you see that trajectory happening again. And again, you realize that growing up is so mysterious. I, I mean, there are kids, I, what you learn from your kids is, is amazing. It's absolutely astonishing. I think I've learned more from my students than I've learned from me, truth. <laughs> but, you know, you see kids who have experienced such hardships in life that would make anyone listening to this podcast weep, you know, just parent to parent. And, and those kids overcoming every roadblock in their way and thriving. And then you have other kids who have every reasonable advantage in the world and they've come from a loving background. And sometimes, you know, they make unfortunate choices and they have to learn hard lessons. So, you know, I think at a certain point, yes, adapt, you know, really, you know, do all those things to, to best meet the needs of your child. But then at a certain point, you know, we have to surrender to the Lord. Like, what is this going to look like in 15, 20, 25 years? You know, we really have to to surrender those things to the Lord. Yeah, it's such a good lesson on so many levels. And I feel like that adaptability gets communicated to our kids, that life isn't some rigid path that's been laid out before us, that our personal vocation as it emerges in the course of our learning and being together, learning from each other, that that's all going to emerge gradually. But that adaptability, um, I feel like it keeps us in that place of being in the present moment with the Lord and with each other, too. We're not constantly out in the future or measuring ourselves against a, a, a rigid goal. Um, and, and yet it gives us that freedom to have goals um, because it's not so threatening. Love that so much. Adapting, it makes me think of the serenity prayer. And we talked about the abandonment novena, which you said you would touch on that kind of surrender later. What power there is in surrender. We just do what we can do and can't control everything. And loved what you said about learning so much more from your students in a sense than they learn from you or having that feeling. I've heard that from really good teachers over the years, the teachers who are really in there with their students and present to their students. Yeah, the Lord is working in all directions, right? So now that we've talked about some more serious things, I thought maybe we should lighten up a little bit and awesome. talk about, about the props. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So I have to be totally honest with everyone. I'm putting this out there for the internet. Um, <laughs> I'm not a crafty person. My crafty scale is like negative three. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm fair at like line art drawing and like little watercolor. But yeah, if you if you throw popsicle sticks or felt or glue or anything like that into the mix, it's a disaster. So Okay, so well, now I like you more, Kimberly, because I was intimidated by your musical talent. And now, because I'm not crafty either, now I just like you even more. <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, the good thing, right? The good thing about, about being in a homeschool community is you've got all these other people who are crafty, right? So you can, you can lean on them. One of my best friends is, is really crafty. So I'm like, oh. Um, so, so anyway. Uh, but I think sometimes we get locked into this idea that creativity has to do with being crafty and doing crafts. So, you know, every time you try out a new recipe on your husband or your wife, for the homeschool dads who are listening, who have <laughs> culinary talents, uh, you're being creative. When you come up with the most adorable stocking stuffers for your kids, you're being creative. When you put together like a little gift bag for the kids in your, your child's co-op class for a feast day and you've got like little holy cards and little cute 
bags, you're being creative. So I, I guess I kind of want to dismiss the notion that creativity is is only uh, you know having to do with arts and crafts and the arts. There's so many ways we're creative. Um, so I would say I, I don't know at what point it really started, but I think it, it took off about 12 years ago. I started using props more, and and what happened was um, I worked with a few different groups at different experience levels. So. So some of the ensembles I conducted, they were younger elementary age students who were just starting their musical journey. And then, you know, I have other groups where the kids are in middle school, high school, and you're playing standard orchestral repertoire. So kind of running the gamut. Um, but I remember we were, we were playing a piece that introduced flats. Now, for those of you who aren't string players, you know, usually flats are, are flat keys are things you start with, you know, more with, with winds and brass, uh, but it's kind of unidiomatic for string players. So Traditionally, you'll start with keys that, are, that have sharps in them. So we were playing a piece uh, with it with a younger group, and the um, the piece had a number of flats, and and it was challenging them. So I was trying to, you know, show them and demonstrate, and you know, make little visual charts and reminding everyone take it to your private lesson teacher so that next week we're all together. And you know, no matter what I was doing, it just it wasn't sinking in for everyone. So one day I was in um, like a little local mom and pop shop where I grew up and they had these little pigmania pigs. They're like these little, little tiny pigs and they had these little tiny Tyrannosaurus Rexes and it just hit me. <gasps> so we went to the next rehearsal and I, I made my conductor stand flat, like, like, a, like a table surface. And I set up the little pigs. The pigs looked like they were singing. I said, look, it's beautiful intonation. Everybody's playing in tune but it only takes one. And then I took out a Tyrannosaurus Rex and put it on the stand and had it devour the pig or two. And then I grabbed another one. And then it was just like a feeding frenzy on the music stand. It was like more parts carnage than carnival of the animals. And, uh, and um, so anyway, the kids were howling with laughter. They thought it was the best thing ever. And, you know, from that point on, they played more in tune. And I think just having that little sticky thing. Um, now, before we get into the illusion that this only works for small children, um, I tried the same thing a week later on a tricky passage with my older group. And they loved it so much they wanted their own pigs. So I had to go out and buy a pack of pigs. <laughs> and they were like wedged in between, uh, you know, like scrolls and like sitting inside instrument cases. But again, it was just a silly little thing that made an idea sticky. And, wow. and that's what I think of when I, I think of props. So, you know, I have other, other things that I've accrued over the years. Like I've got an Obi-Wan Kenobi and a Darth Vader. And whenever I have a student who has posture problems, they're like, you know, almost like the good angel and the, you know, the <laughs> devil on your shoulder. And, and you know, it, it's it somehow just having those little breaks, that little bit of pizzazz, um, it, can, it can really liven things up and, and make, make something more memorable. Um, and you know, it can, it could be something that you get at the dollar store or the impulse aisle in a department store where they've got the little $1, $3, $5 things. Or if you're thinking, you know what, I really, I don't feel like dropping 20 or 30 bucks on, on little props, walk around and shop your house. Is there something in your kitchen? Is there, you know, are there pieces in a board game? Is there something like that that you can use? Um, I love these little mini erasers too. Like, well, I, I, I store them kind of by theme, like holidays and uh -huh. seasons. In, in your like little Ziploc bags. Yeah. And little Ziploc bags. And, you know, we'll use them for math 
We'll use them for patterns, addition, subtraction, eventually multiplication and division. Um, and then finger puppets. I mean, finger puppets are so great. This little guy is teaching second grade math. And, you know, it's what's so nice about, you know, obviously if it, there were times where I introduced this when my daughter was younger and she wasn't quite ready for this, like it, it became a distraction. So I think, you you know, it it's a fine line you have to walk, walk but, um, but now she can stay totally engaged. And mm. again, going back to the thing we were talking about earlier, like this makes math more fun for both of us. Um, but you can also use finger puppets to narrate, you know, have your student narrate back at you. Okay. What did, you know, what did mommy just teach her? What did I just teach her? You know, go teach the baby with, you know, professor bun bun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ooh. so then you're, you're getting that recalling, which, which is also such an important part of education. Yeah. And, and because they can touch back in their minds to things that are tactile, tactile and fun and playful, there, there's again, a little bit of baby neuroscience is that when you reflect on something joyful, your brain, it helps your brain health. It also puts you back in your prefrontal cortex. Say, say your child just never does like math, but there are these fun little happy moments or times you cracked up together over Professor Bun Bun, you know, the little bunny on your finger. Um, I, I just feel like those are opportunities to to do what a lot of success coaches talk about, which is kind of reflecting on wins, like touching back to happy memories really does put us in a better, more creative, more, um, more kind of productive, engaged place in our brains. All right. So take us into your fifth point. You called it leisurely procrastination. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's very easy in the homeschooling world, I think, you know, to compare yourself to others, you know, we all tend to see what we admire about other parents and and other families. But I think it's important to remember that everybody has their struggles, you know, and and different issues with bandwidth, I guess, right? So like if someone is blessed with a larger family, okay, you have to teach kids who are a wide variety of ages and and meet their needs. Um, But maybe for someone else, uh, you know, there's health issues in the family. Maybe you're taking care of an elderly parent. Uh, maybe you have a special learner. Um, so there's there's so many different things that people are juggling. I think everybody's juggling something, and and so what I found very helpful in all of that is what I call leisurely procrastination. I stumbled upon the term procrastination a few years ago online and it wasn't used in a positive context it was like (laughs) it was like people who worry and they're 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 too anxious they're trying to you know even do unnecessary tasks um but i like to put a positive spin on it because what i found is very helpful you know frequently i would have students audition like my, my audition dates for my ensembles be only a week or two out from the first rehearsals so what I got in the habit of doing the summer before was I would listen to a bunch of different pieces and think programmatically, meaning, you know, I want to ex- expose my students to a wide range of things, um, you know, a little bit of this and that, or maybe go with a theme like, okay, we're going to do a dance theme or we're going to do a, uh, you know, American composers theme or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so, you know, in that time in the summer, I could really sit down and listen and, consider what are a few potential scenarios I could be, um, that, that could be, um, 
in the fall as far as, as my instrumentation, you know, what would what would suit my students, and then score study those pieces, transcribe a few parts if I knew there were some kids on, on certain wind or brass instruments, you know, or I, I was going to need to switch things up or, um, you know, have a little extra coverage. So I would do that in the summer so that when audition time came in the fall, I had something that I could just pull out easily. Or another thing that I, I used to like to do, and I, I didn't really think to do it until I was in my busiest season, season uh, professionally and personally, but I would pre-write emails. So if I knew, okay, I've got a spring concert for this group and a fall concert for this group, whatever the case may be, and I want to send X number of reminders, then in the summer when I had time and I was unhurried, that was the time that I would take to pre-write those emails and, and set them up in my draft box. And then you know, when it came time, that I needed to to pull those out, they were right there. So, wow. so how does this translate to homeschooling? So I think a lot of time, you know, we're we're just so busy. Like we are just we're constantly going, right? So let's say you have an hour. Your kids are watching a movie, and your first response, which I think is probably most of all of our first responses, like, okay, let's scroll for a little bit. Um, instead, make a cup of tea and just sit. With a with a paper or um, a paper curricula catalog or um, or online ones. I mean, I know some of the online ones are amazing. You can see page samples. Just just wonder over it and dream over it, and don't feel hurried. So this is something to do way way far in advance. Um, you know, before you're under any pressure with making choices or your budget for the year, just make a little space for that because you're not in that urgent season of it. So I actually, for a few years now, have been doing this about eight months out. So, you know, in that, that kind of slow time in the winter, January, February, um, I, I start going through and making choices and I find it's actually helpful because as I'm making those choices very gradually, I'm excited about them. Like, oh, we're going to use this next year. And then I find it goes back and it informs how I'm, how I'm um, finishing out the school year. Because, you know, this time, you know, not this time of year, but that, you know, that time of year, that January, February, March time, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, a downtime and it, I find it actually energizes me and I get more excited about finishing out the year because I can see the trajectory. I can see, okay, well, we've got to, We've got to finish this out so that we can be prepared for the next thing. So the excitement of that inspires, you know, inspires how, how the year's going to end. So again, if I was to do this in the summer, I think I might feel a little hurried, but because I'm doing this further out, um, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like I have a deadline moving over my head. So in general, with with everything we have to do, because of course, as you know, Lisa, New York's a very regulated state. I try to start completing forms and various things further out, just a little bit at a time, five minutes here, 10 minutes there. And then I don't feel as much like I'm in a hamster wheel um, you know, with, with those deadlines. 
Wow, I love that because we often experience as homeschoolers the kind of winter doldrums, uh, especially if you're in a place where the weather's really cold. Um, we're a little more stuck indoors. We're not seeing people as regularly. And we're tired because the fall season, we tend to overcommit. We push harder in the fall because we've had a rest and we're like, Wee! we've signed up for too many things. And by after the holidays, forget it. We're tired. And we tend to go into kind of the blah part of the school year. But if you're just kind of gently turning over in your mind possibilities, as you said, that takes you into a whole other place emotionally and psychologically. And I love what you said. I've never heard that before, that that procrastination, that dreaming with lots of lead time actually invigorates what you're doing now. Ah, what a jewel. Yeah. And it's funny, I've talked to other homeschool moms about this and they've, I, like people that I never even proposed it to, they've said that they've done the same thing themselves. So it's interesting, you know, that, that this is, this is a phenomenon that, you know, other people come to the, to the same conclusion. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, but just to hear somebody else have tried it, I mean, it just makes me so happy just hearing it. Just tell us sort of the names of the five points or a, a, a little short description again, one more time, Kimberly. Sure. So the first is to pick stuff that you love. Uh, the second is that the how is just as important as the knowledge base. The third is, since you can't control everything, adapt. The fourth is, keep your eyes peeled for props. And the fifth is, leisurely procrastination is your new best friend. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, any final thoughts to leave us with, Kimberly, as we're wrapping up? Sure. So I would just say, if you go into teaching any kind of teaching, be prepared to be schooled. You know, it's, it's such an exhilarating prospect um, in one moment, and it can be humbling the next. Um, but I think also know that any worry you've had, any mistake you've experienced, any March burnout or February burnout or January burnout, um, that's been shared by more teachers than you or I, Lisa, could ever possibly quantify. And I think... <laughs> All good teachers, um, you know, whether you have a formal four-wall classroom or not, you're in it for the kids' best interest. So as you're buoyed by Lisa's ministry and, and the wonderful uh, people that she brings in, just remember, those kids are your kids. And what a blessing it is that the Lord gives you this opportunity to work with your children this way. Amen and amen. And just another shout out to our amazing sponsors who allow us to do this work of coming together as moms and dads, really making our domestic churches, our homes, beautiful places of learning on every level. Kimberly, thank you so much for the joy, the intentionality, all the insight that you bring to our conversations. I can't wait to do it again. Thank you for being with us. And everybody, find Kimberly at coastalvillagegirl.com. That'll be in the show notes. And thank thanks you so again. Thank oh you, my Lisa. gosh. Oh, you too. <laughs> everybody, I hope we'll see you next week. Have a beautiful week. God bless you. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.